0: Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Good morning. It is great to be back with you. It seems like we're... I'm making a habit of being here um, recently, so I think this makes like three times in five weeks, and so. But I, I'm I'm blessed by it, and blessed by the opportunity to get to see you and to hear of God's working in your midst, and to rekindle um, introductions and friendships and relationships. So, um, just again, just very pleased to be here, and um, I invite you to open up your Bibles to um, First Thessalonians. Chapter Three. When I was here last time and spoke, we we looked at First Thessalonians five about building building scaffolds around the week, looking am- around at the people around you and saying, "What are the real specific needs that people have, and and how do we build those scaffolds around them?" Uh, today, I want to back that up just a little bit, and, and the reason why is that we, we live definitely in unprecedented times. In an unprecedented time, by when I by by saying that, I mean that. The, the the age that we live in is there is a rising level of persecution against truth itself, against the very nature of truth, and obviously, uh, specifically against God's truth. There's there's a rising level of of intolerance for any type of belief in God and and um, any type of virtues or values or or um, or, or intrinsic truths that are universal, and, and there's a rising push against that. And not only that, we're living in this, this time of, uh, of a pandemic and, and, and all the struggles and trials that are happening there. And, and in the midst of that, God has called us to go out and make disciples of all nations, to make followers of Christ. And that's really our ultimate mission. From the moment you got saved, the reason God didn't take you immediately to heaven and, and have you worship him eternally there is because he had a mission for you here on earth. And that mission is to make disciples, evangelize the lost, to bring glory to God, to to reach out and show the goodness of God. And and so that's why you're still here. That's why you're here today. That's why all of us are here. But in the context of increasing difficulty, that mission is harder. It's harder to accomplish that. There's a lot more disillusionment that happens. Almost asking, you know, well, how could God allow this to happen? Or how can God profit us through this whatever this is we all have that in our lives and many people who are unbelievers one of the first arguments and i hear this all the time from people who reject the concept of god is is this and you've heard it as well how can a good god allow this to happen where is god when the when the innocent quote unquote are are hurting and suffering why does god allow this to happen and And how does that fit into overall scheme and a plan that God is good and I need a relationship with Jesus? And truthfully, many believers, and at times myself, feel paralyzed in answering that question. I've had the opportunity to be around a lot of people who have been hurting. Perhaps even unfairly targeted by by other people. um, Certainly around vulnerable children who through no fault of their own are suffering the consequences of choices they didn't make for themselves, but somebody else made for them. And this question lingers, and it's been posed to me before. Where was Jesus when this happened? And how can a good God cause something like that to be, to be bring glory to himself? How can that benefit the world? It's a common question. In fact, the question is so common, that, that a predominant part of the New Testament is written to answer that exact question, where is a good God when, when hurting is happening? And, and why does God allow suffering, and what good does it bring? So this morning, I would just like to make a few statements or a few couple points to help you answer that question, not only for yourselves, but for our community, in, in answering the question, how can God use this to bring glory to himself. But even answering that question to those around you in your sphere of influence who may not know Christ, whose primary objection to the concept of God is like, okay, so if God is so good and I need a relationship with him, why does he allow this to happen? I think we'll answer that question on the basis of God's word today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, you'll find out that this is not a question that was... um, uh, just ask this year or last year or the year before. It's been going on since since time began. And back up into First Thessalonians chapter two for just a minute here. Verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in, in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. What a great condemnation or, or, or commandment that, that Paul is giving the Thessalonian church. We, you, when you welcomed the word of God in truth as it is, you and you believed, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but what it truly is, the word of God. And there's a distinction being drawn between that what man says and that which God says. And Paul says you need to lean into what God says. There's plenty of commentary out in the world today about man's perspective on everything. And as a believer, I would encourage you to filter that through the word of God and say, is that a message from God or is that a message from man? Is that consistent with the word of God or is it consistent with the message of the world? And there's a huge difference. And I'll say this, that whether you choose to believe this message of man or believe the message of God, in a large way has an impact on the trajectory you take in life. There's huge consequences for following the wrong message. I'm talking practically for believers. When you buy into the world's truth, that that somehow, you know, attaining all these things and treasures of the world is what matters the most, then you're going to have a profound... Um, impact in your own life but so the Thessalonians had truly believed verse 14 for you brethren became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God they're contrary to all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved and so always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. In other words, you're suffering the same thing from the Judeans who killed the Lord Jesus that we suffered from others. And others are suffering from others, and it's it's going around. And, and Paul says, your experience that you're having is nothing new. Have you ever, have you ever wondered and thought that, why it is when you're suffering from something and somebody goes you know what I'm I'm walking through that as well do you find a strange sense of comfort in that isn't it isn't it amazing when you think about I'm I'm walking through whatever this valley is and you meet somebody who's walked through that valley or or who is walking through that valley there's a strange sense of brotherhood or camaraderie that happens when that, when that happens. And, and God uniquely puts others in our sphere of influence who are suffering the same things that we do. Perhaps it's a medical diagnosis. Perhaps it's a relational issue. Or, or some other thing. And, and there's a sense of, a sense of brotherhood. The, the scripture calls it synergo. Where we get the word synergy from. Synergo. Where we, we have this brotherhood of togetherness. Like suffering together. There's a sense of, of purpose and empowerment that comes when we realize we're not the only ones taking on water in our boat. There's others doing the same thing. And so Paul is, it's called normalizing. This is, this is the normal, this is normal for what we do. And I think too far, far too often in the Christian life, we present this idea as like, believe in Jesus and all your problems will go away. It'll be great. Life will be wonderful. You get all the bounties and all the riches of everything you ever wanted and you, you're walking with Jesus and everything is great. How's your life? Perfect! It's great. And, it's, and we hide that. We begin to posture and, and cover up those things because we're, we're, we want to believe that God's going to bless us. Well, I want to tell you what, when you believed in Jesus, you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's what you've been given. You've been getting a guaranteed seat at the glory of God for all eternity where you'll worship Him in, in peace and beauty and holiness and greatness. You've got that. You've got the promise of the Holy Spirit to walk through this life with you. You've got a brotherhood of believers. You've got so much. But, but the danger comes when we say, that's not enough. I want more. I want more of this world to go with me. And then we leave it all here. We, we begin that disillusionment, but Paul's talking to him verse 17 of chapter 2 1 Thessalonians but we brethren haven't been taken away from you for a short time in presence not in heart endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire therefore we wanted to come to you even i paul time and again but satan hindered us for what is our hope our joy our crown of rejoicing is not even you in the presence of our lord jesus christ at his coming Wow, Paul says, you know what, I'm not going to get to see you before heaven, but I'm telling you what, my joy in my life right now is the fact that I will see you later. What a beautiful perspective. So what do we do about now? How do we how do we deal with this issue of, of trials and discouragement now? When you think about the human experience of, of having trials in this life, we really only have four options. I may have shared these four options before, but but, but listen to this, there's only four options when you think about this. When you think about the problems of good and evil in this world today, and that God is good, there, there's only four, four answers you can give to this. And only one of these, by the way, is correct. The first one is that there is no God, therefore no, and nothing matters. That's, that's one option when you look at the, the problem of evil and good. Well, God does not exist, therefore it doesn't even matter. Everything just happens for whatever reason um number two there is a god but he doesn't care which makes god unloving there's a god who who exists but he has no care over what goes on in the world he just sits back with his arms folded and watches it play out and that would would have to be a god who does not care a god who does not love the third option is there's a god who sees and cares but he has no power to do anything over it He's he's impotent. He's not almighty. He's not powerful. He has wound up the clock and he's let it go. He's put the kids in the playpen and and just sat back and said, "Oh, I just don't I don't have any power to change anything that goes on in there." Well, I choose not to be involved, that's a god who's impotent. The fourth choice, which is obviously the only right choice, is that there is a god. He does care, and the problems that are going on in the world today in our lives as believers, have an eternal purpose. That's our only four choices. You can walk out of here today with any one of those choices. But, but I want to I encourage you, I want to exhort you on the authority of God's word that there's only one choice that's right and that there is a God who is benevolent and loving. He is powerful, but he's also purposeful. And those, those trials the things going on in the world today, um, God is sovereignly orchestrating to bring glory to himself and to further his kingdom and to to exalt himself and to draw in those people through, excuse me, through faith in Christ. And so this morning, I want to say, I just want to give you three basic points here. And this is going to be simple. Number one, Trials are the destiny of believers in this life. (coughs) Excuse me. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3 now. Verse 1, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, what is that? Them going through the trials, those, those Thessalonians being disillusioned by all the things that are happening, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken. Look at verse 3. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we're appointed to this. (laughs) Wait a second. I didn't sign up for that when I got saved. Did you? No. I didn't sign up to be a... to, to have afflictions, to have troubles and trials. Here, you know, you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. Life will be miserable after this. <gasps> oh, great, I can't wait. No, we, we somehow think that, oh, wow, this, the debt of sin is gone, and, and I've got the peace of God which surpasses understanding and all the other things that were promised to me when I believed in Jesus. And wait a second, I didn't sign up for afflictions and trials and troubles. I didn't sign up for any of that. And none of us Do. None of us do, but, but, but in the midst of living in a, in a world cursed by sin, God is sovereign and playing out his role, his superiority over all of that. And, and we understand we've read the last verse in the Bible and we win and they lose, but we're not there yet, are we? We're here, we're caught in this, in this envelope of time, trying to understand why all these things are happening, trying to make purpose of, of our own lives and feel the significance that God wants us to feel and desires. And we want to have the answers to give to people. But number one, trials are the destiny of believers in this life. And this is all through Scripture. And the, the, the word of in, in verse 3 that we are appointed to this literally means we are lying in the grave of trials. That's what the word literally means in the Greek, to, to lay in the grave. Well, that's not exactly a great picture of the Christian life. I thought we were resurrected from the grave. No, you're, you're laying in the grave. You're almost a being as dead. And um, there's that picture. Jesus said in John 15, verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love its own, yet because you're not of the world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do you think Jesus is lying there? He's not lying at all. He's telling you the truth. That's the world's perspective on you. The world hates you. Understand that. They hate you. They hate that you propose you can have peace. You can have a relationship with the living God through faith in Jesus alone. They hate that. They hate the message. They hate you. The world hates you. Therefore, remember that the word that I sent to you, a servant is not greater than, than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Not may, they will. They will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know... Him who sent me, Jesus said. John 16, this is Jesus again. These things have they spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble, but they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. And every disciple came to understand the fulfillment of that verse in their own lives because they killed them. John sixteen thirty three these things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We are overcomers in Christ and the sooner we latch hold of that, the better perspective we'll understand um, about this life and that the destiny of every believer is persecution and affliction. Trials are the destiny of every believer. Second Timothy 3.12, yes and all who live Desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 1 Peter 4.12, we could go on all morning long. Beloved, do not think it's strange considering the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. <laughs> Peter says this is normal course of life. We need to normalize suffering in the Christian life. We need to normalize that. It's not something unusual, it's normal. It's normal. We are, we are honored to suffer in the same manner as Jesus Number two, I'll tell you three things. Number one, trials are the destiny of every believer. Number two, trials can shake our faith. That's what Paul is saying here in verse three again. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. If you like to underline your Bible, you can underline the word shaken and draw a picture of a dog's tail. Because that's literally what the Greek word means. It almost has the idea of the tail wagging the dog. Okay, so we have this this uh, little chocolate lab, about this tall, and um, and when her tail wags, it's like a ball and chain, you know. It's like, and and um, and the whole body just shakes back and forth. I won't I won't imitate that up here. It'd be really awkward. Um, but her whole body shakes, and that's the picture of this. The very trials that are going on in the life have the p- potential to shake the whole body. We get the picture, don't we? Little things accomplish big objectives. Trials have the capacity of shaking our faith, uh, of dis, of uh, turning. <coughs> excuse me, of turning our whole our whole body, and moving our whole body, and they do. Um, the tail has a tendency to wag wag the dog you know when the trials like that start to happen we begin to believe that one of those other options about god's existence you know perhaps perhaps god doesn't care i've sat with many believers you know and they've asked the question does god really know what's going on with me right now i feel so alone does god can god see what's going on in my life i'm scared and I, somehow i don't see the presence of god i don't experience his power i wonder if god cares does he care that I'm walking through this valley of loneliness and, and I feel like I'm all alone? It seems like other believers are turning away from me and, and moving away from me because I've got something wrong. And, um, and boy, I can tell you, and just the opposite is true because when we have suffering in the body, the body needs to come together. We need to come together and we need to build, remember last time, building those scaffolds around the hurting and the weak. Trials can can definitely shake our faith. And the third thing, I want to say this morning is this, that trials can hinder the witness and the work of our faith. Not only can they shake our faith, but they can hinder the work and witness of our faith. Look in verse 4 and 5. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. Paul's just reminding them. Remember I told you? Look at this in verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Listen, are you believing the lie today? Are, have you bought into the, to the negative narrative that, that somehow God is distant and he doesn't care? or you, know? you can talk to people about this. Do you know other believers who are struggling so much? Like, I don't even know if God wants this in my life. I'm telling you what Paul's saying. Listen, don't believe the lie. Don't believe what the tempter is saying because we are tempted to believe what could be a lie. And it's clear that God is not the one who sends temptations. We know that from James. God himself does not tempt anyone. But man is tempted when they are drawn away by their own sinful desires, their own lusts. And by the way, that's promulgated by Satan. That's pushed by him and drawn away. And so Paul says, be careful, I'm sending Timothy to you to know your faith, lest by some means these trials have interrupted your work and your witness. They have a capacity to do that. (coughs) The trials that we're facing today have a capacity of silencing the witness of this church, of your life, of your family, in this community of Henderson. They do. If you believe in those, if you fall into that temptation and you begin to believe the lie. And so we're called, we're called to come back and say, let's normalize suffering, because suffering is a normal part of life. Okay, those are the three things. Trials are the destiny of of every believer, and um, they can shake our faith, and they can hinder the witness and work of our faith. Paul's concern was not that they lost their salvation, or never had salvation, only that their testimony would not be furthered. And by the way, one who is spiritually dead cannot have faith. So we know he's talking about believers here. He wants to know if their faith has been hindered. This is saving faith. Has that faith been hindered? Is it, is it are you being neutralized? And um, so he sent Timothy to him to know. Trials are never meant to derail good works. God doesn't have them in our lives for that purpose. He has another purpose for trials. Let me give you a summary, very quickly, of what the purpose of trials are. This is in Scripture. You can write these down if you want. They're just very simple. You don't have to turn to these verses, so I'll just read them. Number one, trials bring boldness. Trials bring boldness in sharing the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at philippi as you know we were bold in our god to speak to you the gospel of god in much conflict you can read through the book of acts and see every time god brought bought trials in the lives of the early church what happened they spread like raid and they took the gospel with them and they began witnessing to others and more people got saved persecution came on they spread in 30 years the gospel spread from jerusalem westward the then known world in 30 plus years was evangelized through through persecution and we've been working for 2000 years to do the rest wow it's no wonder how god uses persecution and trials to spread the message of truth and hope in christ number 2 trials bring joy and generosity <clears throat> trials can bring joy and generosity um second corinthians 8 one and two Moreover, brethren we make known to you the grace of god bestowed on the churches of macedonia that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality man when they were hurting they were filled with joy and they gave <laughs> that's turning the world's message upside down and that's what jesus does in the, in the midst of persecution, we're filled with joy and generosity. I can give. I can give out of, out of my poorness, out of my, out, of my, um, out of my trials. Number three, trials bring focus to what is truly important. Trials can bring focus to what's truly important. The Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 22, or, or excuse me, Acts chapter 20, verse 22, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen there to me, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, chains and tribulations await me. <laughs> do you love that? It's like, I don't know what's going to happen when I go there, but um, pretty much the rest of my life has been miserable, and this will be too. <laughs> but none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my race with joy and testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Wow! I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be pr- imprisoned and beat and, 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 and maligned and everything else, and persecuted, but <laughs> there's nothing that's going to keep me off, off, take my focus off the gospel of the grace of God. Don't we just long and need that focus in our lives today? Number four, um, trials bring perseverance. Trials bring perseverance. And we see this all through scripture. Romans 5.3 three. Not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produce, you know the verse, perseverance. Tribulations produce perseverance. Number five, trials bring patience. Oh, we don't like that. We'd be better off not knowing the book of James, right? Because it hits us right between the eyes. James 1, my brethren, count it all joy, when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Number six, trials bring the assurance of salvation. Philippians 127, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your fears, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries which to them is a proof of perdition but to you of salvation and that from god wow it's a confirmation trials are a confirmation of your salvation trials are a confirmation that you belong to jesus difficulties show that god is at work in your lives and he's using those things for his glory and your good number seven Trials bring an anticipation of Christ's return. An anticipation of, of, of Christ's return. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that... That you partake in Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, that you may also be glad with exceeding joy. (laughs) And when we compare the joy of being with Jesus compared to to the trials we're going through, there's nothing there to compare. It's overwhelming. And so we anticipate the return of Christ. Number eight. There's only nine. Number eight. Trials display the love of Christ trials display the love of christ just pop over to the left a couple books to romans 8 you you got this verse on your refrigerator on your wall and we know all things work together for good to those who love god to those who are called according to his purpose i mean everyone has that verse hanging somewhere in their house right that's one a verse that we believe you know trials display the love of christ we read on in romans 8 and Paul explains that for whom we foreknow, he also be predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that Jesus might be the firstborn of many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called, those he called, these he justified, and those he justified he also glorified. In other words, no matter what's going on, you're going to be glorified believer in Christ. Your body will raise and your spirit will be with Jesus forever. You'll be alive, awake Conscious, alert, worshiping Jesus for all eternity. That's a fact. And Paul, when he, after he gets done writing this, he breaks out into this praise. Look in verse 31 of Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? What things? Then if we're going to be with Jesus one day. He says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who brings a charge to God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yea, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a beautiful, what a beautiful, like, like blows of a, of a hammer and an anvil. Paul lays out the, the, the worst case scenario for, for the believer. There is no opposition, there is no limitation, there is no accusation, there is no condemnation, and there is no separation. And it's like, bring it on. I'll, I'll take whatever you give, because that's where we stand in Christ. That's the reality, that's the truth, and no one can take it away from you, because Jesus has bought it, he has paid for it, and he's given it to you as a gift. What a perspective on trials that we have in the New Testament. And finally, trials display the power of God. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. Trials display the power of God, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my persecution, perseverance, persecutions and afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Trials give you an opportunity to see the power of God delivering you from those trials and from the lives of others. You see people delivered from that. And, and, and that allows you to see that God's power at work in other people and have confidence for your own life. Well, take, back, take a look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to end right here. I want to draw your attention to verse 2. The provision. This is God's provision for trials is real simple. He says, "Be established in the faith." Verse two. I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish, to establish you in the faith. And the Greek word establishes sterizo. That's where we get the word steroid from. Sterizo. It's to strengthen something that is already existing. Is to bring strength to Rizzo. It's to confirm the mind. And this is done when we find truth, when we rest upon the promises, just as we're doing today in the service today. We're looking at the Word of God and saying, have this mind, have this perspective, look at this, hold on to these verses, count them as true, believe what God writes, believe what God says, hold on to that. In the midst of the storm, you hold on to something hard and fast, and firm, and that's the Word of God. You know, it's the practical side is you cannot claim promises that you do not know. The Christian life, you know, it, I mean, ignorance is certainly not bliss, but it's a blunder when it comes to Christian life. We have to, we have to know the promises of God to believe those promises. And so we come into the Word of God, and, and you know, it's not like having the Word of God in us. It's, it's like letting the Word of God get to us get to our hearts and get to our minds and to believe in that it's more than just sitting down and reading it and checking it off on the box we need to ingest that we need to assimilate the word of God into our lives we need to exercise our bodies and our hearts and our hands we need to touch hurting people we need to give back we need to make that life real that's how we are established in the faith and then obviously we're encouraged in the faith there. And that word is, again, one of Paul's favorite words, parakalao, which means to come alongside of someone and speak into their life. That's how we're encouraged. That's the word encouragement. That involves personal relationship. That involves you going alongside of somebody else and saying, you know, I, I don't know the answer to the thing that you're you're suffering, but I can give you a promise. Like, what kind of promise can you give a person that trials are a destiny for all that who are Christ followers. That there are promises in the word of God to hold on to. The promise of God's presence. Isn't that what David said in Psalm 23? You know, he, I mean, what what a beautiful picture. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And, And David's reflecting upon this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. How do we endure trials? By the knowledge of God's presence, his closeness. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, kids, in the fiery furnace. And suddenly there were four in there. And one was like in the image of the Son of God. In the furnace? Yes. In the deepest, darkest part of your life. In the part where you felt most alienated from everything, including God, he's there. He's there. You take it to the bank. He's there. Oh, I'm telling you he's there. He's there. I love their response. And if he's not, nothing will cause me to say that I worship your gods with little g's. You know, I love their response. They're so convinced it doesn't matter. My God's bigger than this consequence or the circumstance I find myself in. Oh, how we need to hold on to faith like that. What would happen? What would happen if our churches began to cultivate this, this place of honesty where trials were normalized and people sought to establish and encourage one another? What if we had to pretend no longer that believers don't suffer? Imagine the response of a world that lives in deception when they see Christians supporting and encouraging one another instead of trying to destroy one another. Option four is correct. There is a God. He is purposeful. He is loving. And he has a plan for your lives to bring glory to himself and to draw disciples to Jesus. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. In the chaos of a world filled with confusion and corruption, There is truth and light and hope, real truth, real light, real hope in a relationship with a living God and the all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we praise and, and glorify today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for their love for you, Lord. I pray that you would bless them, encourage them, strengthen them, and use them to hold high the banner of God in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ from Henderson, Nebraska, around the world. We pray.